We appreciate you being here tonight with our congregation's 30-year homecoming coming up at the end of the summer. We are thinking about blessings this summer, and so we've asked our speakers to share something for which they are thankful. And we're excited tonight to have Billy Smith and his wife Joan with us. Uh, Billy's been here many times on Summer Series. Uh, Billy and Joan have been married for 51 years. They have two kids, four beautiful grandchildren, as they say, as they will tell you, and as uh, their bio will tell you. Um, in fact, I think they met up with their son this afternoon. They try to come around this time of year so uh, they can visit their son Scotty down in South Haven and then come back and speak at Great Oaks on Wednesday night on the way back. If you've had any association with Freed Harbor University in the last 50 years, <laughs> you know Billy and Joan Smith. Um, Billy was a student there in the late 60s, began teaching there soon after as he continued to get his degrees. He's been full-time teaching in the College of Biblical Studies since 1978. Uh, Some of the classes he's been best known for are Life of Christ, Acts of the Apostles, and Preparation of Delivery of Sermons, which I understand he's taught every year for more than 40 years. From 1994 to 2018, he was the dean of the College of Biblical Studies there and graduated, or excuse me, retired, retired from there just recently um, as the Distinguished Professor of Bible. As he's been teaching, he's also been preaching in the area for many years. He preached at Estes for many years and then at Henderson, where he still serves as a minister. And so a lot of people have been touched by the life of Billy Smith. When I first visited Freed Hartman, my uncle was there with me. He was a preacher for many years in Woodbury, Tennessee, where Billy grew up. And I don't know if Billy would remember this or not, but um, he took me to go visit Billy's office. And so one of the first people I met at Freed Hartman was Billy Smith. One of the first classes I took at Freed Hartman was Life of Christ with Billy Smith, as many other first-time students are. And he's always been an encourager to me. And I think that's the thing I appreciate about him most is his encouragement. Uh, He's also somebody that that I really trust. He's one of the people that, when I've had big life decisions along the way, I like to reach out to Billy and see what his thoughts are, including things like, should I go preach at Great Oaks? Things like that, that, that have defined our relationship. And so I really appreciate his faith and his life uh, for a lot of different reasons. I'm glad he and Joan could be here tonight. His topic tonight is, I'm thankful for the church. Billy, glad you're here. Well, good evening. It is great to be back with you at this midpoint of July, midpoint of summer. And it is true that when Tim invites us, which is every year, and we're grateful for that. It does give us the opportunity to celebrate, wow, Scotty's birthday. It's going to be 47 on Sunday, and so this is the closest that we could be to that, and we're grateful to be with him and his kids, and uh, grateful for what they're doing, uh, where they worship, and certainly grateful for what you're doing here at Goodman Oak. Now, uh, I do remember And in fact, uh, Tim's right about several exchanges we've had over the years, uh, both in phone calls as well as in emails and some text messages about, uh, what do you think about this? You know, should I do this? And I remember being very happy up in western central Kentucky, he and um, uh, Adrian, and and, uh, uh, I remember uh, him calling about that. And he said, uh, should I go to Great Oaks? And I said, absolutely, you know, and that had three exclamation points behind it. So if you really like Tim, you can thank me, okay? (laughs) All right, 
and, and if you have some issue with him, then you know you can talk to me about that too. But I, I know that you're very grateful. One of the most difficult things, and I think more so right now, over the years uh, when you're at a place like Fried Hardeman and in the Bible department, you get a lot of requests from uh, churches and I know that uh, that is not uh, going to, uh, it hasn't stopped uh, in the last year, this is my first year of retirement from there and I, uh, people are, are still calling and saying, we need a man like this. And, uh, you know, first of all, they want someone from FHU, but they want someone that obviously would be the right match and the right person for their congregation. I say all of that to say how fortunate that you are uh, to have Tim and his family with you, and uh, I'm, I'm very grateful for the love you have for each other, but also how grateful they are and, and how fortunate they are, you know, to be with you and have the opportunity to do the Lord's work right here. I asked him in advance, I said, Tim, isn't this year some kind of very special uh, anniversary for the congregation, 30 years maybe? He said, yes, we're celebrating our 30th anniversary. And I wanted to mention that personally because I want to congratulate you. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of brethren who went before you, first of all, on securing this property and uh, building such a wonderful facility. But you know, that's not the church. It's what goes on inside and then what we take outside that represents the church. But let me tell you from someone that uh, is a part of you and yet away from you, you are one of the most valuable, important congregations in our brotherhood. You know, we're always, some, from the beginning of the church, we're, we're in a great spiritual war with the forces of Satan and the forces of evil. But I'm thinking about, in addition to all of that, all the benevolence and all the evangelism and all the teaching and training of little ones, every little thing that you do is something that makes the Lord's church what it is, makes it work. And so uh, we'll talk a few more about those kind of things. Those things are just some, some you know, off-the-cuff things I wanted to say here at the beginning before we look at our lesson. But I am grateful to be able to have the opportunity to tell you that I am grateful for the Lord's church. Uh, there are going to be some individual passages that we're going to notice in these few moments together. Uh, Tim said that y'all listen for about an hour from now. So I'm going to officially get underway, okay? And uh, this hour will pass uh, hopefully much quicker, quicker as an example of emphasizing these, these texts. Uh, also want to bring you greetings, though, from uh, the Henderson Church that is uh, really doing well as well as the university. Uh, we're looking forward to another record enrollment this fall, and some of our best students, I kid you not, they always come up and tell me if they're from Great Oaks. And so that helps their grade, or it, it did. It, it, really, it really does. And, uh, you know, I give them a bigger hug. And by the way, about, about Kevin and about Tim and about Eric, you will agree with me 
they all married above their heads, did they not? And guess what? So did I. So I'm happy that Joan is able. Joan is a 32-year veteran of teaching uh, third and fourth grades in both uh, Christian schools as well as public schools, and she continues to teach me a lot too. So we're grateful that we have the opportunity to come and go together uh, in all of these years. You know, I can't remember a time growing up in Woodbury, uh, Joan's heard me say this a lot, I can't remember a time it speaks the same for her because she was raised in Henderson, born on White Avenue where the, where the church is, where the college is, and the uh, first half of her life, uh, her parents lived on that street before uh, building a house on a different street. And uh, so she's, she's purebred uh, Henderson and, and Freed Hardeman. But both of us have the same background in the sense that we were brought up in families where uh, we don't remember a time when we did not love the Lord's church. For me, I realized very early that when we got to On the Hill, that's what we call the church in Woodbury, it's on top of a hill that overlooks the downtown area, the, the, the town square, and uh, everybody refers to it as the church on the hill. And that's where his Uncle Herb served for 34 years, and he is one of my dearest brothers in the world. But anyway, uh, we, uh, I realized when we got there that uh, not only do we have, <laughs> Tim, we didn't have youth groups back then, but uh, we had a great one. We didn't call it that. We just had a great group of young people that were members of the church, and uh, so we had that. But I also recognized that the best people that I knew in our town happened to be members there, happened to be leaders there, and I admired them. I loved them. I looked up to them. I wanted to be like them, and I fell short of that on many, many occasions. But that is a wonderful thing about the Lord's people. And when you travel, like coming to Great Oaks, we anticipate in advance all that we're going to enjoy, the people that we're going to be able to see from the past, some that we're going to be able to meet for the first time. But we are, we're, you know, we, we belong to each other. When you travel in other countries, uh, you may not be able to speak the same language uh, before you find uh, someone who can interpret and all of that, but uh, you feel very quickly that you belong uh, to each other. And so those are some of the highlights. Now, on this opening text, there is a, a strong statement made in Ephesians 5, 25, about husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church. That's really the emphasis you know, we, we've got to emphasize, sure, husbands and wives are to love each other, but in what way? As Christ loved the church, which means sacrificially. That is, he gave up everything. He gave up everything for his bride, the church. A couple of verses down, you find this statement, that he might present the church to himself in all of her splendor. Some of the older translations say in all of her glory, which suggests when Brother Tim is down here about to officiate another wedding ceremony of a young couple as the bride walks down, you know, the aisle uh, to be wed to her husband, uh, she is radiant in white, and uh, I've had the occasion where I really did have to catch a few guys from falling 
because they were so blown away by that radiance. But that's what the groom wants, and that's what the Lord wants for his church to be seen in the world, glorious in all of her splendor, without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, but that she might be holy. The spot or wrinkle does not refer to the aging process. In fact, those are beautiful as you grow older together. What it's talking about is, is the purity of the church, purity in doctrine, purity in life, uh, purity in service, and, and in all aspects. And so when he makes this statement, it gives us reason to think about what is it about the church? Just a few things, obviously, that we, that we can mention out of many more that we could, but I want to mention four different areas that, uh, well, I'm thankful for, I'm just grateful for, and they're simple, they're, they're not profound, uh, there are things that I'm sure that you have found to be true and are finding to be true. And even though when we have uh, some obstacle or some difficulty or some problem through which we must work as a congregation or members within the congregation, the Lord continues to be the Lord and we continue to be his bride, the church. And we need to think about that more. We need to think about the import and the influence and the responsibility as well as the honor of going out and representing the Lord and therefore representing the church wherever that we go. Reason number one for me is I'm thankful for the church because in the church we have God, the creator of the universe, which is a tremendous statement with all kinds of implications and applications. The creator of the universe is someone that we can know personally as our father. Now, really, when you're talking about God, you're, you're talking about God the Father, yes, but you're also talking about God the Son and God the Spirit as well. Uh, those are three entities, but they're all one body or one person in nature, that is. Uh, they have different uh, roles to play and different functions to play. But first of all, when we think about God being our Father. He is the Father of all creation. He is the Father of life. And there's so much more we could talk about that. But here is a statement that is just absolutely wonderful. And from time to time over the years, before, you know, Bibles went digital and all of that, uh, especially with college students, and uh, my students would have their Bibles, you know, open to whatever we were studying. And I'd say, okay, I, won't take, I want you to take your pen and I want you to underline that verse right now because that is a verse that you're going to need to remember from now on. And there are going to be times that you're going to need to return to it for strength and for comfort and for whatever spiritual need that you might have. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for, all, for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Back when the Lord was teaching the disciples how to pray in the Sermon on the Mount and giving the model prayer or the Lord's Prayer, right before he said, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, right before that statement in verse 8 of chapter 6 of Matthew, he says, Your Father knows what things you have need of 
before you even ask him. He's not suggesting that we don't need to pray. Just the opposite. We need to pray with the confidence and with the absolute certainty that as I pray, God already knows what I am feeling and the pressure that I may be carrying. Or if it is a praise or if it is a thanksgiving, God knows the intents of our heart more than we do, better than we do. And so we are grateful for all that we have received in creation, but aren't we grateful for salvation, for the salvation that he has given to us in Christ Jesus? Fortunate is the baby, fortunate is the child, that will be able to go through life saying, you know, the first song that I ever remember taught, being taught by my mama or my daddy is Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Can you remember a time when you didn't know that song? I, I can't. And I still sing it quite a bit today because when I break into singing, I never know what's going to be coming out sometimes. But I love that. It, it carries the message that is the greatest message in the world. God is the greatest giver as a father. So here is a God that if he is going to give us Jesus, his most prized possession, his perfect son, the perfect reflection, the perfect image of what God the Father is. You, you remember in the upper room, John 14, verse 9, and Philip says to the Lord, Lord, show us the Father. And the Lord has been with them for three plus years, and he's about to go to the cross the next morning. And here's Philip, one of the 12, saying, show us the Father. And Jesus very humbly says, understanding as always, Philip, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. Now, if you want to know what God is like, we do not know what God looks like uh, in terms of uh, vision. He's not a physical being. He's a spiritual being like we're going to be. I mean, we are spiritual beings in the sense that we carry our spirit within this body that is temporary, but we're going to be like him. We're going to be really in his image someday. But whatever image that you carry of what God is like, when you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, over and over and over again, and you see what Jesus is like, how he thinks, how he speaks, how he feels, how he acts, even when you know he had to take a whip and run money changers out of the temple in Jerusalem, he was doing the right thing. He never did anything wrong, never said anything wrong, never thought anything wrong. And that is why this voice from heaven on at least two different occasions says, this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. And that still rings true today. Listen to him. So if God's not going to withhold Jesus, what is he going to withhold from you? And I know that there are a lot of months where there is too much month for the amount of money that we have to meet the end of the month. But here we are, blessed to be New Testament Christians in the greatest country in the history of the world, 
in the, one of the most beautiful areas in the history of the world, enjoying physical blessings on top of all of the spiritual blessings that are in Christ. And so I'm thankful for the church because the church has taught me and presented to me and pictured for me Almighty God. And not only is he the God of creation and salvation, but he's the God of revelation. He has not left us without witness of his existence. You have here on the banks of the river the opportunity, if you are someone that is watching from the east the sunrise, and it's eventually going to hit the river, but the beauty of the sunset on the river. And when you watch beauties like that, that other people and people even here can take for granted, then you realize that the, every little detail about the created universe spoken into existence instantly, instantaneously, and then with all of the features. Joan and I were talking about something the other day, the nature of some critter. I think it was the nature of hummingbirds or something like that. I mean, our conversations go deep. And when we were talking about hummingbirds and her being, you know, I, I never was really good in science and stuff like that. I was a history person. And so uh, when she teaches me something about science, I'll pay attention. And she said, you know, those hummingbirds, uh, we're fortunate to have them around the house before they migrate. I said, hummingbirds migrate too? Where do they go? You know, because they're so small, right? I said, where do they go? She said, well, they go south. And she says, how far they go south, I don't know. I said, you know, that's an amazing thing. And it's an amazing thing that they know to do that at a certain time every single year. And, you know, there's nothing in the animal kingdom and there's nothing in the plant kingdom that has a gender issue. Have you noticed that? That is something of human origin. So God has made all things perfectly and he's revealed it to us in nature and he's revealed it to us in his son and he's revealed it to us in this precious book that will outlast every one of us and the last person that is on this earth you know why because it's the truth it's the truth and the truth is going to win it's going to last, but I've got to move on. I love the church and grateful for the church because of God as our Father. And then secondly, because of our faith. Faith is a very interesting word in the New Testament. We normally associate that with, oh, that means I believe. I want you to think about uh, someone that you have faith in, a person in whom you have faith. Why? Why? Now we know that there are people who are capable of betraying our faith and our confidence. But the one about whom we would say, I would trust him or her with my very life. Why? What have they demonstrated? What have they proven? not just happenstance, but over a long period of time. You know them. You remember when God was 
debating with himself about whether to tell Abraham what he was going to do with Sodom. And he said, can I withhold from him the destruction that I am going to bring upon Sodom because of its great sin? Knowing that I have chosen him and that he is a father who will command his children after him in the ways of the Lord. You think God was surprised when Abraham was willing to take Isaac up to what we know as Mount Moriah? What, you know, now is in, is in Jerusalem? Take him up that mountain and offer him as a sacrifice without question? I mean, can you imagine God doing that to someone? But he knew him. And we talk about faith, we're talking about a word that is not a hope so, or I think so, or I wish so, but I don't know so. It's used in two different ways in the New Testament. Number one, the total message of the gospel. You know, the, the facts to be believed, and the commands to be obeyed, and the promises to be enjoyed, and all of that. It's the word that Jude uses when Jude says, the faith has been once and for all delivered to the saints. Stand up for it. There's another way in which the word is used which talks about our trust or our confidence in it. And so this is what Paul is talking about really both when he says near the end of his life, 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought. And notice the fight for the Lord is good. The battle is good because victory is assured. I have fought the good fight. I've taken my place in the ranks of God's soldiers of all time. I have finished the race that he has given me to run, and I have kept the faith. Wow. There are two ways of looking at that expression. I have kept the faith in the sense that I have been faithful and true when I obeyed the gospel, when I repented of my sins, even of killing the saints of God in Jerusalem, I genuinely repented of that. When I learned the truth, I confessed my faith in Jesus as the Christ. I was baptized into him immediately by Ananias of Damascus for the forgiveness of my sins, and I have been faithful to the faith ever since. What a remarkable statement. This word kept is a military word that refers to a garrison or a guard that is, you know, protecting maybe a guy that is injured in the, in the foxhole out on the battlefield, and they are keeping him safe. So you could say, you could say this way, Paul kept the faith, but the faith kept him. And so that is why that we talk so much about Paul, along with the Lord and along with other great heroes and heroines of the gospel. You see, when we, we talk about our faith, we talk about, okay, the center of the message is Jesus the Christ, is the Son of God. That's the gospel, right? Savior of the world. The word Jesus means God is my salvation. 
the New Testament word for the Old Testament name Joshua. God is my salvation. And so, as you, as you think about the one that we honor and adore and love, and may we truly love him with all of our hearts, we think about, well, whatever he tells me to do, I want to do. I want to obey. I, I don't want to have a debate with somebody about, do I have to be baptized? I mean, that's clear. Do I have to be immersed? I mean, that's clear. To wash away sins, because that's where we contact the blood of Jesus by faith. Do I need to be here in the assembly of the saints? Absolutely. That's what our faith teaches. It's upon which our faith thrives and grows and develops and matures. And there's nowhere else we'd want to be at the time that we're to assemble. In our Bible classes, the lessons, our worship services, our singing, our praying, our partaking of the Lord's Supper, our giving, all of that is a reflection of our faith. There's a reason why that we do certain things and we don't do others. There's a reason why that we sing a cappella because that's the example that is given to us in every instance of the New Testament. There's a reason why we do not use an instrument because it's not commanded of us or taught of us anywhere in the New Testament. There's a reason why we partake of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. There's a reason why that we extend the invitation at the end of lessons because the gospel is an appeal. It is a, a, an appeal to people to repent and to come to the Lord for the greatest possible life that we can live upon this earth with the hope of eternal life. I'm telling you, you can get as complex talking about theology and theological themes, but it really comes down to a message as simple as the golden text of Scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not be lost, but have eternal life. And I love the church for that. And then this is something great about Great Oaks. You don't have to, you know, you can walk in as a guest. You can walk into some buildings and you can sense, boy, things are not, something's wrong here. I mean, really, you can. And then you can walk into places like here every year. And you can tell, not only in anticipation because of you being here before, but this is one of the most loving groups of people that I know. And it's obvious in the way you greet and love and hug and do so to visitors and guests and everything, but in your fellowship. When I think of uh, the Lord's family, think of what Paul said about the Philippians, a congregation that he and Silas established on the second missionary journey in Acts 16, even though they were scourged and imprisoned and then run out of town, but boy, they were very effective in establishing the Philippian congregation. And you know, Philippians is one of our favorite, if not favorite letters of Paul, 24, 25 times, something like that. Joy, rejoice, rejoicing in four chapters. And so Paul makes this statement in verses 3 and 4, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, always in every prayer of mine for you all, 
My prayer is with joy. Uh, there are people who see the hard side of Paul and fail to see the tender heart of Paul. He cried a lot. He wept a lot. Why? Because he loved people so much. And he especially loved the saints that he could remember either he or one of his co-workers baptizing in Thessalonica, as it's called today in Greece, or in Berea, or in Athens, or in Philippi, in Ephesus, and all points in between throughout the Roman Empire. Even in the Roman imprisonment, he talks to the Philippians about, boy, it's been a good thing that I've been here. So many of these soldiers that have been assigned to me have been converted to the Lord. <laughs> You're going to be chained to Paul for a while, and what are you going to do? Talk about how the Braves are going to do tonight? No, you're going to be talking about, you know, the Lord. You're not going to be talking about the weather. You're going to be talking about the Lord. And so many of them were taught the truth and were baptized. Arrangements were made for them. And so, family. Now, you will notice that a feature of our services every single time is a list of people who very much we need to pray. Oh, I've got people on my heart that the outcome uh, really is unknown except by the Lord, but we pray. And um, some that we even you know, plan to see later in the week whose time may be very short. Now the truth is it can be short for every one of us, but we know because of, of diseases and so forth. And one of these days, if your name has not been on that list, it's going to be. And you will find out what it means to be truly loved by the people with whom you worship. You're going to find out what it means when people say to you in all genuineness, I have prayed for you over and over and over again. My brother Roy Sharp, who's gone through a transplant for leukemia back in March 1st, tonight is in Linden, Tennessee, by the grace of God, because of the success of that, but Roy's still got a long way to go to be completely healthy. Only the Lord knows how many thousands and thousands and thousands of prayers have been prayed for him. And I, I mention him because I know that you know him and we've had the privilege of standing side by side in the pulpit and everything else for more than 34 years. I can hardly talk about him without having difficulty. But that's what it's like to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And there have been situations that we have known where people say, I would never have made it. 
I would never have gotten through it had it not been for my brothers and sisters. I love that the church is God's family. Kevin, thank you for leading that, even though you had no idea that was going to be our main point. And then I'm grateful for the church because of our future. You know, for about the last 30 years, as I've gone to various congregations, uh, someone, especially in the 90s, it seems like, uh, seemed like before the, the meeting would be over, the gospel meeting would be over, a brother would walk up and say, Brother Billy, what do you think is the future of the church? Because we appeared to be on the brink of a great divide. And that possibility is always there from the human standpoint. You know, it's not going to be caused by anything that God does. God just simply tells the truth, and we've got to trust it. And I said, you know, from a human perspective, there's no way that I have any special insight, nor does anyone else, about what the future of the church is, if that's what you're talking about. But I know the future of the church from God's perspective and that is, the church is going to win. The church is going to be with him. The church is going to survive. Why? Because it's his body. It's his church. And just as the Bible is not going to return to him void, neither is the church going to be wiped from the earth. Now, we've got a big fight ahead of us. We've got a big battle ahead of us. But it's always been here. It's always been here. And the Lord's counting on us. He's depending on us to be firm in our faith, to be strong in our faith, because we want to be able to say the same thing that Paul says when he says, because of keeping the faith and fighting the, the fight and finishing the course, therefore... There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me, and not only to me, but to all those who love his appearing. There's no doubt there. There's no uncertainty there. Paul knows that he is the chief of sinners, but by the grace of God, he's been able to become what in our perspective would be the chief of the saints. And he inspires us these 21 centuries later to continue to exalt Paul. No, Paul didn't die for you. To exalt Jesus the Christ, who in those incredible eternity feeling like six long hours of the greatest misery that a human body could ever endure, he did that for every last person on the earth, past, present, and future. I don't know how people say no to him. I also don't understand how easy it is for us to be unfaithful to him, to what the Hebrews writer would call crucify him afresh by our occasional unfaithfulness. But when we repent, God is long-suffering. God is patient. God is not willing for any of us to perish, but that all might come to repentance. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. How would we know all of this? You see, a part of our faith is 
We know this. There's no doubt when the scripture uses the word faith and truth. Let's love the church. First of all, don't you love Great Oaks? And I know you do. I love Great Oaks. I love coming here. Let's rejoice that we have God Almighty as our Father. And you know what? If we had nothing else, that'd be more than enough. Can I hear an amen to that? If we had nothing more, we've got God as our Father. Let's trust in the faith that has been delivered to us and proclaimed from this pulpit faithfully every Lord's Day, every Wednesday, in every Bible class throughout this building, and then in lives too. Let's also love each member of our family. I, I know there are some people that are easier to like than there are others. I can honestly say that I loved every student that walked into my classroom. Did I like some more than others? Yes. <laughs> but I still loved them because they, they were my students. And so some are, some are a bit more difficult sometimes. But think about how God has to put up, you know, with us. And then let's look forward to our future. Let's act like we are the victors, that we are the conquerors. Not boasting, not being arrogant, not being obnoxious or anything like that. Humble. Humble. Because we are Christian. That's all. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And so I'm thankful tonight. I'm thankful to God Almighty. I'm thankful to our Savior. I'm thankful for the spirit that has given to us the Bible. And Jesus' death that has given us the church. And those of you who are in leadership positions, bless your hearts. Can I speak to the elders just for a second and say thank you and to elders' wives and preachers' wives and deacons' wives. May I say thank you for the roles that you fulfill and the things that you know that nobody else in the congregation knows because they don't need to be known. They're burdens that people need to be helped with on a private basis. But these roles are 24-7, 365. They, they never go away. And yet... There's glory in that, in the eyes of God. But there's glory in being a child of God, being a member of his family. So I'm thankful for the Lord's church. And I love her. And I have been nothing but blessed for all of these years. Nothing but blessed by those who make up the church wherever we go. Tonight, there may be someone who needs to respond to the Lord and become a Christian. We've already talked about the simple process. It really goes to the core of your being. Think about what Paul had to do to change from the murderer of saints to turning around and trying to convert those that wanted to do the very same thing. For some people, repentance is more difficult than others, but the more difficult, I suppose, the more rewarding. That's the really hardest part. 
You know, making the good confession and being immersed in a pool of water are relatively simple acts, but really repenting, turning from the practice of sin. And it may be that there's someone who needs encouragement tonight. You've been a tremendous encouragement by being here and by listening as you have. And I'm thankful that someone might need prayers from our family. And if that is the case, God is waiting. He never moves. He never sleeps. He never ages. And he's waiting for whatever our need is to be fulfilled. While we stand and while we sing.